Amen, amen. Thank you, James. And uh, you've got your Bible with you. Say amen. And uh, let me go ahead and get you five to open it up to 1 John chapter 1 this morning. 1 John chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start a brand new message series this morning, going verse by verse through 1 John. You know, we sang the song, and I absolutely love it, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased above, born by a spirit, washed in his blood. Now, if you grew up in church, you grew up singing that song. It was written by Fanny Crosby. And whenever she wrote that song and even sang it, you can actually hear the affirmation and the certainty in her heart concerning her personal salvation. In fact, if you ran into Fanny Crosby and said, Fanny, are you confident if you died today you'd spend eternity in heaven? She would say, without a doubt. But you know, you may be here this morning and you can answer the exact same way, without a doubt. But I have discovered that not everybody has that kind of assurance. In fact, sometimes asking people if they were to die today, would they spend eternity in heaven? They respond to me and say, well, I think so. Well, that's not certain. And then there are some who say, well, I hope so. And that also is not certain. So really what I want to do this morning is ask you, are we called to live our entire lives walking through with the existence of a hope-so salvation? Or are we called to live through our lives with this idea of I think so when it comes to salvation? Or can we actually have a no-so salvation? Well, believe it or not, you know, Paul the Apostle was actually, or I'm sorry, not Paul. Y'all with me? Say amen. I was thinking of Wednesday night. First uh, John, John is actually writing this letter to a group of people who were doubting their salvation. And uh, the entire purpose of the letter is actually found for us in 1 John 5, 13, where the Bible says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So think about that. John says you can actually know that you have eternal life. And so this morning, we're going to really just look at it pretty simply. I want you to think about maybe a time in your life when you doubted your salvation. Maybe you made an opportunity to uh, meet with a pastor somewhere. And uh, if you were to come to me, I'm going to tell you, I would take you straight to 1 John. And I would actually begin by asking you three questions out of 1 John verses 1 through 7 to help you discover whether or not you should have assurance of your salvation or not. And so this morning, that may be you. Then again, you may be here today and you're like, I'm saved without a doubt. I've got no issues with it whatsoever. Well, this message is also for you because we're called to make disciples. And there's going to come a time in your life when you run into somebody who is doubting their salvation and you need to be able to take them to Scripture and help them discern whether or not they have a genuine relationship with the Lord. So that in mind, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Let me get you to stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. And uh, you've got it there in front of you. Say yes. And the Bible says, What was from the beginning, and what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. And the life was manifested. That means it was laid bare. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I love verse 4. John is literally saying, man, I'm writing this stuff so that our joy can be complete. He's saying we find great joy when you find joy in your salvation and assurance. 
Then verse 5 here is like, this is the message we've heard from him. We announce to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, then we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, let's bow together. Father, we are uh, grateful for our opportunity this morning to open up your divine word and launch into this series of messages through 1 John. I pray, God, that it would strengthen our fellowship and we would find great assurance in our salvation. And God, we will be used by you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. God, I likewise pray for those who are here today and maybe they are doubting. Maybe they are concerned about whether or not they genuinely know you. God, I pray that you would use the time together this morning to help them discern the reality of whether or not they are truly followers of Christ. And if not, God, I pray that you would um, shatter the prideful heart, that you would um, break the scales off the blinded eyes that they might see. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and use your word to accomplish what you desire today. And we'll give you glory for that. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you go ahead and be seated. All right, so three questions that I'm going to ask you if you're doubting your salvation. The first one is a pretty simple question. Uh, is your trust in the authentic Jesus? Is your trust in the authentic Jesus? Or we could put it in a uh, more personal uh, note, is my trust in the authentic Jesus? Now, a little historical context for you from 1 John chapter 1. Uh, some stuff that we need to be aware of. John is writing this letter really to combat some false teaching that's going on. There's a group of people who are known as Gnostics who are actually teaching Gnosticism. Gnosticism just means a secret knowledge. And so there are individuals who are going into these fellowships and they are going in with what they claim to have, this secret knowledge and trying to share with other people. And their secret knowledge actually redefines who Jesus is. So let me explain to you what they believed. Uh, first of all, they believed that all matter or your physical body was actually considered evil. All right, so your flesh was evil. But then they argued on the flip side that your spirit within your body was inherently good, pure, and sinless. So now they would come into some of these fellowships and they would say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? And they'd be like, well, heard what about him? They said, have you heard about the fact that Jesus only appeared to be real, but he was actually just a spirit? So then they would begin to argue that Jesus was inherently good. That's why he could not have had a physical body. And if he had a physical body, the Gnostics believe he would have been sinful. So now they came in and they were beginning to, listen, redefine the person of Jesus so John wants to make it very plain to them about Jesus and his incarnation. That is, about Jesus and the fact that he came in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Uh, notice again, and by the way, John's the last living link uh, to Jesus' public ministry, his death, his burial, and resurrection and ascension. So Jesus now uh, is being spoken of by John. So look at 1 John chapter 1 again. Listen to what he says. He's like, what we have heard from the beginning, 
what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you also so that you indeed uh, may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now notice what John is doing here, which I absolutely love. John is saying there are individuals who are claiming that Jesus only appeared to be real, but I want you to know we not only saw Him, we not only heard Him, but we also physically touched Jesus. Jesus has a body. That's what John really is arguing here in these first few verses. Jesus Christ came with a body. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, is it really that big of a deal that Jesus has a body? Uh, apparently, the Gnostics actually thought Jesus was a pretty uh, good individual. They thought that he was pure and without sin. That's why they argued that he was only spiritual. But it is essential that Jesus has a body. And the reason that it is essential is because a ghost or a spirit cannot die and shed blood on a cross for your sins and mine. So we need to know the reality that Jesus does indeed have a body. John MacArthur notes, Jesus must not only have been truly God, but also truly human as a man who actually suffered and died upon the cross in order to be the acceptable substitutionary sacrifice for sin. And then Hebrews 2 and 14 says, since the children, that's talking about you and I, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same. That is, Jesus had flesh and blood. That through death, Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. So John, right in the outset, wants to make sure that these in these fellowship are actually trusting in the biblical, authentic, real deal Jesus, not a reinvented Jesus. So if a person is doubting their salvation, I think that's the first place to start. Have you placed your faith in the real Jesus? And the reason that I emphasize real is because there is no shortage of people who are reinventing and redefining the person of Jesus, even in our current culture. Historically, what we find is that many religions have redefined Jesus. Think of Islam for a moment. They argue that Jesus was a good man. Islam argues that Jesus was actually a prophet. They just say that he was superseded by Muhammad. They don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And think about running up on a person who is a follower of Islam. And you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, well, yeah, I believe in him. But see, they believe in a Jesus that they themselves have defined. And then Hinduism teaches that Jesus was a man much like Krishna. Mormonism argues, and you'll discover that Mormons actually use some of the same vocabulary that you and I use. They argue that Jesus was the Redeemer, that he is a son of God. He came to be the Savior of the world. But really, when you begin to study their theology, you find that they have redefined Jesus. They argue that Jesus, prior to coming to this earth, actually was the spirit brother of the devil himself. So they redefined Jesus. Buddhist, Christian scientists argue that Jesus was a man who brought only great enlightenment. 
The Dalai Lama once said Jesus Christ lived previous lives. In other words, he is reincarnated over and over and over again. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, more in, in line here, Charles Taze Russell, who is a Jehovah's Witness, actually argues that the incarnation, the idea that Jesus is God in the flesh, he says is scripturally erroneous. He says it's absolutely ridiculous. So historically, we have many religions, many false religions, who have redefined the person of Jesus. Now, if you run into them and say, do you believe Jesus existed? Do you believe in Jesus? They would all say, yeah. But they believe in a Jesus that they themselves have created. And we not only see that historically with religious views, but we also see many pseudo-intellectual views of Jesus that are errant. Uh, John Lennon, I know y'all came to church to hear what John Lennon had to say, amen. But John Lennon actually says, I believe in God, but not as one thing. He says, not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something inside all of us. You know what he just did? He just redefined who God was. He said, God is us. And then he goes on and says, I believe that what Jesus, and then check this out, and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. So here now, he has demoted Jesus as not being God in the flesh, but a part of this huge idea of who God is and equated all of these other religious teachers. Oprah Winfrey comes along and says, believe in a higher power. She says, but you can name that higher power whatever you want to name that higher power. I remember sharing the gospel with someone who was of that particular thought. They said, you know, you can believe in God and you can name God whatever you want to name. And you just happen to call him Jesus, but I happen to call him. And then she gave a name. It's pretty interesting. And some people argue in our culture that Jesus is love only and would never uh, condemn a person. And Jesus is fully love and will never sentence someone to hell. So they make statements like that. My, you know, my Jesus doesn't send people to hell. My Jesus doesn't do this. My Jesus doesn't do that. And they're correct because their Jesus doesn't exist. They have created a Jesus in their minds and they are saying now, this is the Jesus that I am following. That's the same thing that the Gnostics did. They created and redefined Jesus, and then they invited everybody to follow this new Jesus instead of following the Jesus of Scripture. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is emphatically God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in the flesh. He had a physical body, but he was also fully human. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. That Jesus suffered in his body. Jesus grew tired. Jesus had to take naps. What is this that Jesus is doing? It's evidence of the physicality of his life here upon the earth. Jesus went to a cross. He died there. He was buried and resurrected. And Jesus is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. That is Jesus. So if you have 
created some Jesus in your mind that's not the Jesus of Scripture, then you're following a figment of your imagination. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I was reading in Job, I'm reading chronologically through the Old Testament, and Job really did. He cried out to the Lord, and he was like, oh, I just wish that there was an umpire who could represent me before God and could represent God to me. You know what he was crying out for? A redeemer. Jesus. That's what he did. Jesus came to represent God to us, and then when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus, he represents us to God. Is that the Christ that you're following? Or have you throughout the years drawn a picture of Jesus in your own imagination? And you're saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you have not trusted the biblical Jesus. Listen, if your trust is in a reinvented or redefined Jesus, then you're going to find that your faith is an imaginary Jesus and not the biblical Jesus. And if your trust is in an imaginary Jesus, then your salvation is also imaginary. Y'all ain't listening to the preacher. Have you trusted the biblical Jesus? Is my trust in the authentic Jesus? That'd be the first question I'd ask you. And then the second one is, uh, is your life continually governed by sin? Is your life continually governed by sin? So look at verse 5 with me, if you will, in the Scripture. The Bible says, uh, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. So John, again, by the way, he's saying, we, we heard from Jesus this message, and that's what we're proclaiming. And then notice what he says, God is light. I like that. It means that God is pure. It speaks of the fact that in God there is no inherent evil. He is absolute in his glory. He is absolute in his perfection, absolute in his holiness. And because God is light, there is no darkness in the Lord at all. There's no evil, no imperfection, no empty glory, no sin whatsoever in the Lord. And then in verse 6 he says, now check this out. If we say that we have fellowship with him... If we say we have fellowship with the Lord, now notice the word fellowship, all right? Huge word here. It means to be a joint partner, uh, to be in association with, uh, to live in community with. And so John really is. He's trying to help them have assurance of their salvation. He's going, hey, listen, if you say that you have fellowship with God, if you say you know him, if you say you're walking with him, if you say you have this joint partnership with the Lord, but then you walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. Now, eyeballs for just a second. Uh, the word walk uh, is literally given in the grammar to speak of a continual, habitual lifestyle. Uh, this is the quintessential concept that if you say you are walking with the Lord or you know him, but your life is habitually caught up in living in sin, then you don't know it. If you continue on in unholiness, if you continue on in a life of darkness, then you're giving evidence that you're not genuinely walking with the Lord. Listen, a person cannot claim to know God and not experience a change in their life. And so Paul says, if any man's in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 
Now the change, everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball. When you place your faith in the biblical Jesus, the Bible says that the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. And it is the Holy Spirit residing within you, the third member of the Trinity. He begins to work in your heart and to change you. He changes your desires. He changes uh, what one preacher said, your want-tos. All right, there is a radical difference that takes place in your life because the Holy Spirit is bringing that about. And there's a promise in the scripture that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So if we claim to know God, if we claim to fellowship with him, but our life is governed by sin habitually and we continue to walk in the darkness, then we're lying and we don't practice the truth. We should not have assurance of salvation if we claim to be going to heaven, but live like hell. That's what John is getting at here. If we say, then. So let me give you the uh, third question, all right? So if you're still here and you're, you know, doubting uh, your salvation, I would say, uh, is your participation with other believers increasing? Is your participation with other believers increasing? Go ahead and look at verse 7. The Bible says, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now again, that word walk, it speaks of a continual lifestyle action. So if we continue uh, to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, then he says this, then we're going to have fellowship with each other. And I love this. If we walk in the light, see in the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Listen to what Jesus said, all right? He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, this is the opposite of walking in darkness. This is now walking as a follower of Jesus. And you can't claim to walk with Jesus and be in the dark. And then he says here, and I love this, man. He says, if we walk are y'all listening? Say yes, because I really don't want y'all to miss this, all right? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Did y'all see that there? We have fellowship with one another. That is, we will have a shared life with other followers of Jesus if we are genuine converts to Christ. We will have community with them. We will participate with other believers in the mission of God to make disciples. If we're genuine converts, we're going to come alongside other followers of Jesus and participate in the things of the Lord. Now listen, listen don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that makes you a believer. I'm saying if you are a true believer, then these things will bear out in your life. Matter of fact, I'll just kind of give it to you this way. Uh, visible evidence of a genuine relationship with the Lord is fellowship with other believers. See, those who are governed by sin find themselves in an unsocial condition. There's no desire for fellowship among those who are walking in the light if you are in the dark. And the reason you don't want to genuinely commune or genuinely join alongside other believers in getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out is because these other believers, as Paul says, are like the fragrant aroma of Jesus. And that aroma reminds those who are lost that they're lost. 
And so if a person says, yeah, I know the Lord, but I don't want to be around other believers. Yeah, I know the Lord, but I don't fellowship with other believers and really get with them and get into gospel. I have no desire to do those things. Why do you not desire to be around other followers of Christ? Like that doesn't make any sense. Remember, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life, and He begins to change your desires. Y'all may be shocked to find this out, but every single personality test I've ever taken has come back that I am a high introvert. Did y'all know that? I guess y'all did, but anyway, so, uh, but that's it. I'm a high introvert. So really, I don't desire to be around people. Are y'all listening? So what is it then that drives me to want to be around other followers of Christ? What is it that drives me to actually desire to be around others who are sharing the gospel and involved in the things of God? What is that? It's the Holy Spirit who changes me from the inside out. It also uh, helps me to understand the reason why people who are in persecuted regions all over the world, where if they are found out that they're followers of Christ, they'll be put to death that they're actually having secret church services. They're hiding underground so that they can be around other believers and pray and be around the Scripture. What is it that's driving them to have this fellowship with one another? It's because they're walking in the light. Because He is in the light. And then did y'all see what the next little phrase was? Because I love it. He says here, And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now notice John here, he's magnifying the blood of Jesus in order, uh, namely, to combat the Gnostics who taught that Jesus only appeared to be real. So it's like, listen, no, no, no. Uh, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, a spirit who appears to be real can't bleed. So here again, he's magnifying the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9 and 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this cleansing uh, from John's writing isn't focused on the one-time forgiveness that occurs at the moment of salvation, but this actually focuses on, upon the, check this out, the ongoing work of Jesus' blood for us. And so the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us who are followers of Jesus. The shedding of Jesus' blood are y'all listening? Say, yeah, because I really want you to hear this, right? The shedding of Jesus' blood makes our fellowship with God possible. But then check this out. It's also the cleansing work of the blood of Jesus that makes our fellowship with one another possible. So we are forgiven by God because of Jesus' blood. But then check this out. We are motivated to be forgiving towards one another and loving towards one another because of Jesus' blood. His blood continually cleanses us. It's a phenomenal picture here. His blood makes our forgiveness possible, and His blood motivates our forgiveness toward others, which in turn, listen to this, actually strengthens our fellowship with one another. So there is this increase, right? So you're like, well, I'm not real sure, Levi, if I'm a follower of Christ. All right, well, let's first of all, have you placed your trust in the true biblical Jesus? That's where we'll start. And then secondly, we'll go a little further. We'll just simply say, hey, is your life governed by sin? 
And then we'll go a step further and say, hey, is your participation with other believers on the increase? I mean, that is the desire of your heart. Is that present? Now, if you say yes to all those, then you can be assured the salvation is in your life. But if you're like, ah, I, don't, I don't know, man, if I place my faith in the biblical Jesus. Well, you, you probably ought to nail that one down. That's pretty important. Now, there's a couple more questions that John will give us next week. But, man, I really want you to sit on those and be honest before God and yourself about whether or not you have genuinely come into a relationship with the Lord. So let's just have head bowed, eyes closed. Nobody's looking around now, but if you're here today and you've not given your life to Christ, then I'm going to encourage you right where you are to make a decision to follow him today. God created you to know him. Sin separates you. An imaginary made-up Jesus can't get rid of that sin. The true God-man, Jesus, God in the flesh, came to a cross and perished for you. His blood poured out for your sake and my sake. He was buried and raised from the dead. This is the Jesus that we follow, not a dead Jesus, not just a good prophet, not just a man who kind of brings us enlightenment. Listen, this is God. And we, we don't mess around with this idea of surrendering our lives to Him. This isn't like, okay, I'm gonna, sir, I, Sundays I'll give away. No, no, this is your life. Now, you give everything over to Jesus Christ. He is Lord, King, Master, and Savior. So let me ask you, uh, is your trust in the biblical Jesus? If not, you call out to him this morning for salvation. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. And make a decision to trust him as Lord. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God may be calling you to join this church body and partner with other believers in getting the gospel out. If that's what God's calling you to do, then in a moment during the invitation, I'm going to invite you to come. I invite you to take one of these pastors by the hand. We want to pray for you and encourage you as you partner with us with Concord to make disciples everywhere.